Reading Room, a literary podcast devoted to the works of Appendix A. Here we open the library doors of the Sanctum Socorro to you. And welcome to the Sanctum Secorum Reading Room. Whether you are new to the literary world of Appendix N, or a diehard fan of the genre, or just tuning in to see how certain titles tie into a particular set of role-playing games, we invite you to join us as we dive into the history and influence of Appendix N. We'd like to open our library to you and inspire readers to explore these new worlds. Allow me to introduce our Keepers of Mysteries for this evening. We have Keeper Bob. Good evening, everybody. And I'm Keeper Jen. And (laughs) hello. As a reminder, uh, since we are airing on Twitch tonight, we have channel points. So you can redeem those for things like weird facts or silly jokes. Keep it light and friendly here. And Jen gives the jokes, I give the facts. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know some. Okay, you can get facts too, but you're not putting me on the rope for jokes. No, no. Let, let, let's all do jokes, right? <laughs> uh, we also have a couple of giveaways coming up toward the end of our hour. But, I mean, bef- before we start waxing poetical about how how funny or or knowledgeable we are with certain things like channel points, because that's all silly. Let's dive into some Appendix N, or at least some work by an Appendix N author. Uh, Tonight's work is the creator of the Empire of the East, Fred Saberhagen. And we are discussing, of course, the first book of swords. The first book of swords are, are set, or the entire series really, is, is set in the far future, approximately 50,000 years before the story. Sometime during the third millennium, mankind was almost wiped out and driven to extinction by a global apocalypse brought on by a nuclear world war. That is, of course, prior to the events of Empire of the East. By the time the events recorded in the books of swords occur, Ardna has passed into legend and is worshipped as a benevolent god. The gods of the swords universe are based on various mythological deities, most coming from like the Greco-Roman and, and Hindu pantheons. And they are elements of human hope and imagination that were made real a thousand years ago after the destruction of Ardna, when humans donned mask suits created by Ardna as a defense against demons. The gods, having become wholly bored with mankind after a thousand years, created the 12 swords of power and scattered them through the world as a grand game of survival of the fittest to be played out upon the earth. And that is where we come in with the creation of the swords. And boy, oh boy. Prince Abraham. You know... It's been a while. 
It's been a while since I've read Saberhagen. It's been a very long time since we last read The Empire of the East mm-hmm. or any of Ardna's world. And oh, yeah. yeah, it was uh, it's not 49,000 and 49 years that Ardna's well, it was, was. It was <laughs> 49,999 years was the was the period of the change they talk it was about the that initial book. sentence yeah, right Ardna, well Ardna's Ardna's change of the world lasted that long and now we're like 3000 years beyond that so yeah it's it's more than 50,000 years and <sighs> but you know it was it was a treat it was a treat to get back into something that was almost holy fantasy as opposed almost. to I mean which, there wasn't much in the way of, say, a, a sci-fi element to this. No, well, I mean, there's there's references, right? There, there's references. There's references to previous works. Well, there's but, references to to bombing cities into dust. I mean, well, they they did have. They know their they history. Used to, they used to access, or they used to have access to things and, like guns. Well, and someone does have a flashlight. I just want to point that out. Someone does have a flashlight. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit about Fred first, right? Uh, um, Fred Saberhagen was born in 1930 and passed away in 2007. Enough. But you know, like like uh, like uh, some of the coolest people, he's a native Chicagoan. And, uh, his, his wife, as a matter of fact, <laughs> it was a mathematics professor at Loyola University, and uh, she became an author herself writing a fictionalized account of the life of the first woman to ever get a PhD in mathematics. And she's working on a sequel now. That's just kind of bleak to me that that had to be a work of fiction as (laughs) maybe I'm reading too much into that. I don't think, I don't, I don't think necessarily the process of getting a PhD in mathematics is otherwise normally exciting. I mean, I don't know. They <laughs> you do have to defend a thesis. And so I suppose maybe in mathematics, they use you know, pulse rifles. I'm not sure, but yeah. So she, but she is, she's an author in her own right. Um, uh, Joan Speechy, I believe. Uh, well, she writes under, under, I think so. She, she writes under her maiden name, but but she is still Joan Savory. Right. Um, it's JSS Publications or something like that. Yep. Is her her uh, business name. Um, and, and, and he married her right after his first novel got published, The Golden People, which was 64. Right. Which, I mean, that was... <laughs> I got facts, too. I know no, I, I, know you, I know you got facts. I know you got facts. <laughs> Um, but you're talking about science fiction, of course. One of the things that he is best known for is the Berserker series, which um, has been described as a flying bird to the Turing test, among other things. Uh, but but so it's it's really either through through that or the swords that most people I know came to Saberhagen, as opposed to Empire of the East, which which I came to later. And, uh, Interesting. Uh, okay. But he also wrote stories with Dracula. He wrote an entire series of Dracula, including including one with Sherlock Holmes and Dracula. I know. I know. I haven't gotten to it yet. Sorry. Which, which in the book is described as the case of the giant rat of Sumatra. But 
Yeah, no, he was, I mean, he was an electronics guy. I mean, he, he served in, uh, as an airman in the Korean War, and when he came home, he worked as an electronics uh, technician at Motorola outside Chicago. And, uh, now, the inform- that, that's really interesting. That must have been his early career, um, because the information I found on him that was most intriguing was that he was, worked at an, as an editor for Encyclopedia Britannica, which of course he, speaks my interest, right? He did uh, do that as well, yes. He edited the chemistry articles, who knew, and also wrote the article that Encyclopedia Britannica had on science fiction. And right after that, he quit and took up writing full time. <laughs> Well, and and Joan also did some some work for Encyclopedia Britannica. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wonder if that's that's perhaps how they met. But yes, he 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 worked for Motorola in in like the, the late fifties. Then he went over. Uh, to, okay. He went to Britannica in, the, in I want to say the late sixties. Um, sixty-seven to seventy-three. And then and then seventy-three. That's when he became an author, mm-hmm. a full-time author. Um, yeah, and then just a year or two later, he and his wife moved to Albuquerque. They did the family thing while writing. He was in Albuquerque when when he passed. Hmm. Um, this particular book was written in 1983, so just shy of 20, well, published, I should say. So it was written about 20 years after he started uh, his first set of novels. And in total, he, Saberhagen, <clears throat> excuse me, Saberhagen has a total of 90, I'm sorry, 60 novels, nine omnibuses, and seven collections under his name. And that does not include things that he edited or collaborated right. on. That's well, and, a pretty impressive career. And when you, well, and when you think about, you know, the moment you realize that the sword series takes place in the world of, of empire of the East, right? It's, it's all one long time stream. It's mm-hmm. interesting. And I didn't even realize there was a fourth book in the empire of the East series. And I didn't realize that because it wasn't published until like 2006. It was the last book published in his lifetime. It was Ardna's sword. And it was after he oh, was wow. done with the swords and the lost swords books. Uh, so it's not one of the twelve. Interesting. No, I have no idea what I. I have not read Ardenas Sword, but but now it's on my radar. Right. Uh, in, so many books, so little time. Well, and then in 2013, Final Sword Productions licensed the uh, the books of swords for a role playing game. But as far as I can tell. Nothing ever came of it. Um, Final Sword Productions has stuff out like in the Honor Harrington universe. They've released some role-playing stuff. What year was that? That was in 2013. Oh, wow. Yeah, it could stand to reason that any potential licensing would have to have been renewed like three or four times by this point. Right. Yeah, and there's like wow. said, there's nothing out there. Mm-hmm. And then in 2020, there is a there's a Facebook group devoted to Fred Saberhagen's swords and uh, Joan posts there from time to time, not very often, 
But in 2020, she mentioned that the books of swords have been optioned for a movie, but unfortunately with the pandemic, everything was kind of up in the air, but it gives me hope that, that maybe we will, we will someday see the, uh, the books of swords come to the screen. I'm a little, hmm, I, I'm, I'm actually a little trepidatious about that. I, I don't know if they need like the Lord of the Rings treatment. I don't think they need the Lord of the Rings treatment, but they're not. I don't think they need the Lord of the Rings treatment, but I think they would they would uh, transfer well to the screen for the most part. Uh, Sure, there's there's dragons and and things of that nature, but most of the story really revolves around people. So, kind of one of the longest descriptions we got was of the life cycle of a dragon and, and that and was so boy, fascinating part of the story yeah <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was really fascinating um and really cool to sink my teeth into and dare i say quite uh gameable if we were going to be going that route oh my um, goodness yes and they even named the different life cycles right including like the great worm and and the snake period yeah. Oh, it was, it was the really land walker. Yeah. <laughs> the way they change and change and change. And that was right there up there. Right up there. I'm sorry. I keep stumbling over my words tonight, guys. Um, it was right up there with things like the rain wilds and the uh, live ship trader series by Robin Hobb that I love so much that I could totally just keep reading this entire series and discuss every one of the 12 books of swords and be happy. Well, and, and the thing to keep in mind is while, while you're trepidatious about them being made into a movie, Fred Saberhagen originally started writing these with the idea of having them developed into a computer game. What? Yes. (laughs) This is, you, you, you have to look back at, at the at the early 80s thing. Games came out like Arthur C. Clarke's Rendezvous with Rama. Oh, man. With those uh, early, early, All these old graphics. Yeah, mm. they were they were text adventure games with, with still graphics. But that was, mm. was a big thing. And it was seen as a sort of the next big market for authors. And this was what he was looking at having produced in that fashion it obviously never happened and i can't i can't find any record of them ever being licensed in that way but that was his original plan for the entire story or just part of it well, when, he, when he started right so for okay. at least the first book you know beyond that who knows i was gonna say the prologue plus chapter one of the first book of swords equals a full story I, yes. there's, there's so much to keep you reading, keep you engaged, keep you chewing on that I admittedly listened to and read a few times. I, and it just, I don't know, there, there were so many little touches that I would kind of go, oh yeah, I remember that from Empire of the East or, oh, I remember that from from something I read in the Dungeon Crawl Classics Empire of the East there. Um, I just, yeah, yeah, I I like this world a lot. 
Well, and, and that first, that, that prologue, there's that moment where you know, we've had the description, you know, the, the, the lame leg, the gray skin, but then he comes to the realization that he is Vulcan because the gods are not truly gods as, as we would understand them today. And, and so it is that memory of, oh, I'm a god, I am Vulcan, and this is what I do. And his tools, he has his tools, and he has no other tools. I thought that was a lot of fun. He's like, well, I need to cut down wood, so I guess I'm going to go knock down some trees. God, an axe would be handy. But smash, smash, smash. <laughs> and then he's ripping the wood apart. And when you, when, yeah. you, when you look back and realize, this is a guy in power armor, things make a lot more sense. Um, I didn't even look back at it that way, to be honest. Well, because uh, you don't have to, right? You can just take it as he's a god. But but e- he's, even he's a guy in he's a guy in a big suit. Maybe a, some sort of minor deity. I never really thought of him as a god until they started speaking of him as well, such after the I mean, fact. Vulcan's a god. But even after they started speaking of him as such, when you're first reading that prologue, you're just thinking, wow, this is one bizarre individual. Oh, see, see, for me, the moment he said, I am Vulcan. He, I, you know, I mean, he, he's a me, with, me with my podunk knowledge, uh, fine, free trivia facts. But- uh, but I thought I, it was it was really interesting since since you know the swords are created for this game, right? Because the gods are bored, and you see exactly how little the gods value humanity when Vulcan's like, "Yes, human sweat, pain, and fear. These are the things we need to strengthen the magics, and we will quench the blades in human blood." I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's <laughs> these are not kind of benevolent gods. They are no, they are bored are- and capricious." These are gods that you you automatically want to lowercase <laughs> as opposed to capitalized gods. Well, there's because there, there's a specific meaning capitalized G God and has nothing mm-hmm. to do with gods. Um, so yes. But as a as a trite little individual, yeah, I I have my editorial ways. I'm like, no, I, I don't like you. You don't get the capital G. Um, no, no named God gets the capital no, G. That's no. not the way that works. Yeah. <laughs> capital G is a but Judeo-Christian thing. It was also very interesting that uh, amid these other gods that we're introduced to, we also see callouts to easily recognizable ones that stem from other sources, like a, an old temple to Bacchus was was spotted and i found that very interesting like a a really interesting author's choice there Well, all of all of the gods are are recognizable to you know to our to modern day to our stuff except of course from those that come from empire of the east uh ardna and to a lesser extent uh drophit right Uh, who who is is definitely not a god and uh, and, and you know, they, they they talk about they talk about his fur and everything. As a matter of fact, um, 
I went looking for information on on Drophix. I'm like, he's he's a dog, right? He's obviously a dog. And I was like trying to figure out what type of dog he was. I'm like, maybe he's a golden retriever. And Elena, if you could put the image up, (laughs) Drophit is actually based on Tufard, who was Joan's dog when she and Fred got married. And he's like this, he's like this, I think he's like a type of bulldog or something. Uh, I'm not, I'm not completely familiar, but it totally changed my view. Looking online, all the artists like this, this like werewolf, wolfine thing with all the shaggy hair. And I'm like, no, he's small and adorable as a dog. (laughs) So, I mean. Yeah. But but other than that, all the all of the the gods are all very recognizable, and it, it gets really interesting when you see that they're getting frustrated. It, you know, we're we're one book in, right? And they're getting frustrated halfway through the first book that the game is progressing so slowly that Hermes with his staff is flying around the world and taking a sword and putting it someplace else because the people aren't using it right. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's this this game that they want to. Uh, I mean, they're they're using the sword essentially to like unbalance the world for their own entertainment, and they're frustrated that we're not destroying ourselves fast enough. And so they have to prod things along. So it's not really a it's it's a rigged game to begin with. It's not really yeah. a game, you think? Right? It's it, <laughs> it is it is dance humans dance. And, mm-hmm. and slay one another in new and interesting ways. Well, is there is there a specific aspect of this game that you'd like to focus in on before we talk about the swords themselves? Well, I want to say the larvae are terrifying. Um, <laughs> That's fair. That's totally fair. But I don't know. For an aspect of the game, it's hard to say. There's there's players, there's there's the players on the field, right? There's there's the humans that have the swords. There's the people in the skyboxes, the gods, and then there's people like the emperor who is who is playing his own game and moving things around and interfering. And, and the dude Prophet who's and... pissed off about the whole thing. So <laughs> I mean, there's there's these various layers to everything that's happening. And you know, one book in. It's, it's really hard to tell. Now, I've got to say, with all of the layers and all of the factions and potential players in this game, it did feel a bit like, shall we say, the saga of Recluse. Uh, down to you're, you're having this fun time and enjoying the character development and all of these fantastical bits and here's the war tactics and here's this i'm like well it was bound to happen (laughs) i I mean the thing that i like about the recluse novels is that the main characters always do something right they're a woodworker they're a stonemason they they exist in the world around them they're not just a wizard and so here we have we start with a character who is he's a blacksmith very briefly, he does not. He does not escape the prologue with both arms, and so he is. He is a a miller at the end of the prologue. Hey, he was he was still doing stuff. Yeah. Though. Oh no, but he, he wasn't a blacksmith. George was, George was one of my favorites. And then the 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 other thing to keep in mind is our protagonist 
is a 13-year-old boy. A 13-year-old boy with a really big sword. And I'm thinking, you know, if they'd given Harry Potter a sword, things would have been very, very different. Jeez. <laughs> that, that's totally fair. Um, yeah, that that's true. At least the characters in Reclose usually go until their time of, you know, turning into adult. That The age of... Uh, coming of age. And, and the um, other thing this- is... This that, is a really harsh coming of age, I think. That, well, it is and it isn't, though, right? It it subverts a lot of expectations. Well, I mean, right at the, right at the beginning, right, right at the beginning, his father and his older brother are dead. And but his father's not mis- dead. But he has mistakenly murdered somebody because right, his but, arrow was guided by some profound that, but, person. But that's, that's not what I'm talking about. It, it subverts the expectations of, okay, hero's journey starts mentor figures die that has to happen as part of the hero's journey that is i mean that's that's literature and his father's not really dead and so so you've got that bit but he finds a new mentor anyway and and so there's there's weird little little bits that are uncommon and different and that it makes him a real pleasure to read and and yes you know i'm going to save my brother whoops i killed the seneschal was was, uh, was definitely another one of those moments. I am where... 13. Whoops. I've never done anything violent in my life. I'm 13 and I have, I've got two arrows left from rabbit hunting. Yes. But uh, he also sees his brother uh, hold the sword for the first time that he'd seen anybody hold it in a manner yeah. that was of import, right? And that's when we start that's when we start learning that each sword has its own properties. You know, the sound, the fretful millsaw shrieking of Town Saber. Yeah. This particular sword. And honestly, it's all about power with consequences. And that's usually the kind of game that I like to run. So, yeah, I'm all over it. Well, that's the thing, right? All of the swords sort of have their catch, and we mm-hmm. learn that we learn that right off the bat with Townslayer, where it will stop every, you know, it'll, it'll defend Saber. everybody so long as you're defending, you know, the helpless. Yeah. But you're still getting hurt, and you can still die when it's done, but you won't die until it's done with you. Yes, it it won't let you die until the end of the battle. You will continue holding it. And it and, will control you and what you do with it. And it that's the thing, right? I mean, these wild. these are are magic swords in like the truest fashion of magic swords. You 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 know, one one picks them up, but they wield you. You don't call mm-hmm. upon their power; the power awakens. Uh, you know, and there, there's that moment he's standing on the rock with the sword. He's like, "These guys are going to kill me," and nothing is happening because he is wielding a sword that protects, you know, protects the innocent behind you, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, and he's only alone. trying to protect himself. Mm-hmm. And God forbid you hold two at a time, even by accident. Well, I do. Well, and then there was that, right? The, you know, all of a sudden everything was tingly and strange and his brain was swimming because and he, he was wielding so much power. Mm-hmm. And, and made him pass out from it. And yeah, I, 
there there were so many I I kind of wish I could go chapter by chapter on this one because there were so many favorite little parts that I really have to rein back for the show. Sorry. Uh but I okay, I I will just put this out there. The mask that the Duke was uh, rumored to wear on certain occasions. He played dumb about it, but then they go into his closet and it's hanging right there. It, it's, <laughs> come on, people. But then he says things like, you know, my wizards will take care of this. And it's just that perfect example of pretentious power. And and presumed royalty. The, the Duke is just vile. He really is. That I didn't realize that till the end of the book. But yeah, that entitled villainy. I I I, I felt it sort of ran all the way through when he's when he's talking to Mark's parents. He's like, oh well, yeah, you, you don't don't you worry. Don't, he's a okay. good guy. And, yeah, he's 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 playing good cop, and then they leave, and he's like, well, you know, my. My 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 cousin is still dead, so we will torture and kill them horribly. But it serves us no purpose now because they're giving us the information, and we won't destroy the entire village. We'll torture and kill them as an example to the village because the village is a tool, and we need the income. Yes, we can't afford to kill everybody. It's the villages are tools. He's he's a billionaire. Is what he is, right? He's he is he is uh, Jeff Bezos with a, with a with a sword fixation. So the Seneschal was out there with blue robes, which <laughs> got to admit is like one of the most creative names a duke would ever bestow upon a wizard. I like uh, blue robes fakes his own death so that everybody will leave him alone, and then survives to go back to the duke and report everything, and just. Uh, he, I almost thought that Blue Robes was a little bit, uh, not a little, a lot more evil than the Duke himself, because the Duke was the one saying, don't kill them all just yet, because they could still be tools. Uh, yeah, that's, Blue, Blue Robes didn't see the big picture. He was a, he was a little picture kind of guy. But I, I like the fact he's like, you know, when swords, when swords are swinging and arrows are flying, magic generally isn't worth a whole lot. So I just drop prone. And that's what he did, right? The fight starts. He's like, nope, I'm down. I'm just going to lay here, huddle down on the ground. Especially, you know, they were firing arrows, you know, being prone is a good thing, right? Um, depends I, on what I, game you're playing. Fair enough. Yeah. But but I like the fact that when they talk about wizards, when, when Mark is on the run and he's like, well, I could, I could try and hide the sword. But, you know, if the local conjurer at the carnival can do things like find rings that have fallen down a well, what chance mm-hmm. do I have of hiding something from a real wizard? And we, we later learn that's, that's fairly accurate, right? The wizards, while they don't know the, 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 final you know the, the exact location of the swords are like yeah they're all on the continent we know that some are over here and and we start learning the various factions that are that are of humanity that are playing this game and uh, yeah and that's how we get introduced to the emperor right the emperor brings mark one of the swords he brings him uh skull twister the mind sword the one that is that the one? 
Okay. No, 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 no. It's sight blind. No, it's he brought him sight blinder, the sort of stealth, because that's what makes you appear harmless. And so he appears as he's holding the sword. He appears as Mark's father, and then as he takes the sword, he sees the clown walking back because the emperor walks the earth with a clown's mask, Mm -hmm. which which plays out over over the next yeah the emperor's a great character. It made me kind of wish that Mark's mother had shared some of that insight with him as far as all of the older rumors of who was rumored to go about dressed and or masked as which character. Well, yeah, but, you know, then, but if, if she I did know, that, if she did that, she'd be saying, hey, you know, so two days, before I, got, two days before I got hitched to your dad, I was out in the field with some stranger in a mask after a funeral. But it was okay. It was like a local custom, right? Well, that's why she was supposed to be leaving, right? It's because it was a she did. custom. No, she didn't. She was leaving. and She left one building. And and she was, you know, the hand fell on her arm and said. I know, I know, I know. It's not over yet. Yeah. Mm. So, and, and she was, I was kind of hot. I, I was kind of lukewarm on her, you know, kind of hot and cold, right? Uh, you know, she was certainly. There, there were moments, there, well, there were moments of devotion, and then there was, well, you know, even though he's lost an arm, he still has property, so I guess I should marry him. And and so it kind of bounced back and forth a little bit. Well, she was, had, you know, she had emotion for him, but yeah, <laughs> what intrigue. Yeah, him. well, that's that's fair, right? She had uh, she had feelings yeah. for him and his wallet, but. Uh, but also him, yeah. But and, and he did okay by her. Um, I'm I'm torn on on what to bring next. Bring up next. Well, I liked the shuffling of the swords because that kept that yeah. sort of kept happening, right? Yeah. So so Mark Mark has as one sword. Then he then he meets a dragon slayer who has. Dragon Slicer, the, the sort of heroes, and yeah. it, then they're attacked. That's a great and, band of NPCs too. <laughs> and each of them grabs the wrong sword. Each of them grabs yes. the other sword because that's the other thing, right? These swords, other than other than kind of having a neat like detail. Well, no, they've got like this this pattern within the iron itself. They're, they're Almost, un- it makes me think of Damascus, yeah. But well, Damascus, but lesser, you know, it almost seems. And but they're they're described as very plain, right? It's a straight blade, it's a straight unadorned cross guard, it's a straight hilt, and there's just mm-hmm. one little band around it that that denotes which blade it is. So they're not right. they're not gorgeous blades. They're they're blades that were made to function these are not art pieces and they're they're large enough to be uh they're large enough to be a 13 year old boy clumsily wielded and or carried while traveling and all of all of the ways that you've got to try to figure out how to carry this thing um that gives me a few great ideas myself for uh you know future game stuff but 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 yeah so you know they they swap swords and then so, so then Mark, Mark has as you know, the dragon sword, and then the emperor gives him sight blinder, and the and there's a dragon that is carrying away 
the other sword. He's like, oh, well, I need to get that sword. So the dragon drops the sword as it's sweeping down. He stabs it with sight blinder. The dragon flies off with sight blinder still in its side. There's twice, twice in this book, dragons fly fly off with with a sword stuck in their side. And this explains their hit points. I mean, this explains why dragons probably don't like people, but yeah, it's just that too. <laughs> I think it, it puts into perspective these these drag these flying dragons that are so heavily you know, so heavily armored that even when even when they're they're pierced with the blade they don't really notice. I mean the at one point you know, Drophit Drophit goes up and pulls a sword out of a dragon which doesn't even really notice it's there. And yeah, the uh, those other creatures trying to go for the heart. Well, there was no heart. That didn't help. Well, the, the larva, the, the yeah. larva had no organs at all. Let's let's talk about those things. Those things were creepy. Can we not? Oh, sorry, sorry. Can we not? <laughs> those those things were were creepy. They were like I don't know the best way to describe them. In in my brain, they're like these grayish gelatinous pudding bipeds with. I mean, their their arms end in weapons as hard as steel. Their heads are shaped like helmets to to take blows to one side or the yeah, other. Because they have handless arms. Yeah, yeah, because they they end up like blades and clubs and sickles, mm-hmm. and they have no internal organs. And when you lop off their arms, their arms keep coming for you. And there's no heart. It just oh, yeah. and it, when it's That's described like the, as this best this wave, golem ever, <laughs> this this like like wave of these things coming across the swamp yeah. tens of thousands of them on the march and and, yeah. and, and yeah. there there you are with with pound saver doing your best to just protect this tower with a few you know, locals in it and there's a hundred dead and it's nothing compared to the horde that is that is just sort of moved gray. around oh it's like an ooze with arms yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Slightly more form, but yeah. Yeah, right. It's they're like they're like deadly gray jello wigglers. So bad. And, so bad. And of course, and of course, who is not present? You know, Drophit introduces us to these things and then is conveniently gone when all of them attack. Well, you know, the gods were cursing him for a, a regretful cur, but. <laughs> well, and I, I do, I do greatly appreciate N- uh, Nestor. Nestor, Nestor was the, the dragon slayer. Um, he was and, a good counterpart to Mark's naivete. Yes. But what I, what I really loved the most is there he is, a dragon has swept down. It has grabbed him in its talons and it has flown away. He, he blacks out and he wakes up and he's still hanging there, flying along. And what is he thinking? He's thinking, dragons can't carry a man. No creature that flies can carry a man. We're too big as a dragon is carrying him away. Uh, and that was an experience he really did not like. Because when, when Drophit is like, I will, I will send you... To uh, to meet up with Mark, and I'll, I'll summon a dragon. He's like, uh, no, no, no. no. That, that's cool. I'll stay here. I would rather yeah. stay here for twenty years <laughs> than, uh, than do that. So so thank you very much. But I'm I'm, not I'm good. I'll chill. It just 
Yeah. And then he ends up taking him himself and yeah. Uh, yeah. There, I feel like there was so much to unpack as far as details. And of course that's where my brain goes to are the details. I got totally absorbed in the scene with the magical chest unlocking. The yeah. wizard had to lay his hands on it and then it buzzed like a swarm of insects. It, it was humming and buzzing and it had to, you know, the, the contact had to remain for so long in order to essentially deactivate whatever was going on before the thing would open. And yeah, I am, I'm, I'm really grooving on stuff like that lately. Well, and of course inside that chest, is is coin spinner right the, the the sort of chance the sort of fortune the and, uh, the lucky again, sword right yeah and again when we're talking about these these swords serve themselves and when they're done with you they're done with you and <laughs> the sword the sword had been in the possession of a soldier who had been using it for gambling and he was he was outside he had set the sword down and within 30 seconds of setting it down is when the people he'd been playing cards with jumped him and killed him. His, his luck literally ran out. Shouldn't have put the sword down, he, huh? He put the blade <laughs> down, no more yep. luck. It was done with it. And it, you know, essentially the sword, the sword knew where it wanted to be. So he, you know, the soldier got it to point A. From point A, the, the woman picked it up, took it to mm -hmm. point B, which was, of course, the Duke. So yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot going on. These swords are not just bystanders. And um, you know, now that I now that it sinks in that point that you brought up just a moment ago about dragons can't carry people, it's because Nestor was known for being one of the most knowledgeable people in in the subject of dragons because he had Dragon Slicer, one of you know that other sword. Well, he was killing dragons before that. Yeah. Um it, right. So he he'd known dragon, you know, knew all about dragon, excuse me, air quotes, knew all about dragons, but didn't know about this part of their lifespan. I don't think didn't anybody know. knew about that part of their lifespan. <laughs> no, because I mean what what when he's rattling off the life, you know, the various life cycles, you know, it it's sort of taken as this is what we know about dragons it's not just what he has discovered it is you know they call this life cycle this because of this and this part of the life cycle is this and mm -hmm. he even says there's there's cycles beyond we just don't know them well and that was what mark knew the 13 year old yeah. but there were there were cycles beyond what was what was known but mm -hmm. he just didn't know that they came to a point where they you know, could pick up people and fly yeah, the, the legged phase was, from the human point of view, the really dangerous part of a dragon's life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and then they were, again, supposed to have been leading uh, mostly aquatic life. But nobody because they were so heavy and, 
and you know mm-hmm. their their legs were all shriveled up, and and so they stay. And that made sense, though, right? I yeah. mean, they, they start almost like little little angry polywogs, right, uh, in the water, <laughs> yes. and then they get wings, and so then they they flit about almost like dragonflies, and they get to about Ooh. the size of a chicken. And then you know, and then it's and then they start the leg phase, and then they go into the snake phase. And Can we just, get the scene of one of the little uh, what teenage polywogs just kind of getting squashed there? That's one less that we have to worry about growing one up. One less to grow up and and need to be killed. Mm-hmm. And then there's the the one that's kept in the crate that's that's angry, but it's so immature that its breath doesn't flame yet, so it's just steaming at them. And I, I yes, remember, these I are the images I live for. <laughs> I, yeah, I dig. I dig the imagery of the little tiny dragon just breathing out steam because it's so furious, but it's so cute. And you, you know? figure it probably is just a, a large chicken size at that point. I don't even know if it's that big yet from from the descriptions. I don't know. I mean, maybe because it is eating frogs. Mm-hmm. But I just I picture it as like picking up a kitten and just going, "Who's so fierce? You're so fierce. You're so fierce." <laughs> Oh, this is our life, folks. <laughs> yeah. So, and of course, this is. But it wasn't. This, it wasn't totally angsty ridden. No, and, it's it's and, not. It's not really angsty. Um, th- th- so I appreciated that. I was worried about it when I saw he was thirteen. I was like, oh boy, here we go. No, he was thirteen and nice aged change. before Hot Topic. This was written before Hot Topic and Spencer's existed. You have to understand. You'd go to the mall and <laughs> hang out at like Hot Sam's for pretzels. Uh, I know this because I mean this came out when I was like 13, 14 and uh, wow. I think I I heard about the series I want to say maybe my junior year from a friend of mine who didn't know how to say the word trilogy because he was very excited about the Swords trilogy. That hurts my head so I know, I know, I know but he didn't know and uh, and so I, I dove into them it was one of those things where like the science fiction fantasy book club had the complete book of swords. And so you could get, get those books. And then when I later found out there was the lost sword series, there's eight of those, right? I mean, yeah, I was totally there are a lot. Yeah. Even in the beginning of this particular book, it gave the entire list and I was, how many of these do we got to do for the one show? Well, and, and so collected, they did the, uh, the, the Book of Swords as, as the trilogy. Then okay. they did the first three books of Lost Swords. Then they did first a collection third. of the second three books of Lost Swords. Four and days. then they did the last two together in one. The and then seventh later and came the last. The seventh and eighth. And then later, there was the short story collection. Which was was it? Uh, song oh. Song of the Swords or uh, Armory of Swords? Armory. It, of swords, it's yeah. the uh, Invitational That's Anthology. That, That's right, because the Song uh, of the Swords Hagen is actually edited. in the book. Yeah. Right. The Song of Swords was interesting. Um, I'm really glad the audiobook narrator didn't try to sing it. Um, but no, the eighth book of Lost Swords is actually titled "The Last Book of Lost Swords." <laughs> that. That tickles me. Yeah, no, that's, and I think I've only read six of the books of Lost Swords. That was, that was a long time ago. Well, 
Well, an Empire of the East is listed as its own uh, series it, in the Swords series. It is. I don't think you need to read it to catch to catch on and and. Stay oh no, no, not at all, here. not at all. I I certainly have never. I'd never even heard of Empire of the East when I read these originally. Um, so, gotcha. you, I mean, with a 50,000 year gap, you can just take, take the you know, Ardna mm-hmm. as some strange before times God and, and move on. Um, so and yeah, there's, Ardna there, there's no is, Ardna's sword is the very last one then. Right. And yeah, that's the one. I am curious if we could bounce from the first two Ardnas and still get as much out of it probably not we should just read the whole thing <laughs> yeah no Ardenus again Ardenus Sword came out in 2006 right it was the last thing published while Saberhagen was alive so but I the other thing that I really enjoyed and again I hadn't read Empire of the East but I was a D&D player and so <laughs> when they're talking about Ardna versus Orcus oh I was like yeah. oh Orcus woo and I had no understanding of what Saberhagen's Orcus really was. So, gotcha. so that was kind of fun of me. Yeah. Okay. So well, um I I think we've kicked this one around quite a bit. I'm I mean I enjoy it. I would love to continue talking about it, but we'd probably have to go chapter by chapter at that point and we don't have that much time left. No, so so I, I think we've I think we've covered the, the the book fairly well, so we can we can move on because um, Sanctum Sancti Media, in partnership with Ugandan game designer Ashraf Braden, has just released our first in a new line of DCC. Uh, I, I I've been referring to them as micro releases or mini zines, and it's the Kakondo. And the Kakondo is a creature of modern folklore and legend. It is literally rumored to hunt sleeping children in the boarding schools of Uganda. And so creepy, so good. Yeah, so it's a it's a micro-release that has the monster as well as stats for a sickle sword that is historically used or historically was used in Uganda. It's it you know, it's two sides folded over into a little booklet. And it is a $1 PDF, and it's it's Ashraf's first RPG release. He's really excited about it uh, because, I mean, he lives in rural Uganda. There's not, there's not a lot of outlets for creativity. He works, uh, he literally works checking fishing boats before they go out on the lake to make sure that they have their tag attached, they paid their tax. That is, that is what he does. Before that, he he sold motor oil or something. No, no, his, he he was working at a farm supply place, um, coordinating coordinating shipments. His goal was to hopefully be able to save up enough money to open up a, a booth selling motor oil to to the motorcyclists in Uganda because they go they go through motor oil, and uh, wow, and, you know he would need to save up for like a lockbox and things of that nature. And, and it is a completely different lifestyle than we know. It is. It is. The average wage in his area is, is like $2.50 a day. And so him being able to express his creativity like this and, and tell people about 
some of the folklore and legends out there has been really exciting for him. So I'm going to- And for us, really. Yeah. Oh, it's been great for us to read. Um, I'm going to drop the link into the chat. We'll have the the link with the show notes as well. And uh, all of the proceeds from it, other than other than what drive through takes are are just going to to Ashraf. So, and that's so, an important note. Yes, we seventy can... cents of your dollar goes goes to Uganda, and thirty cents goes to drive through. But <laughs> but again, you know, even just a couple of them is equal to a day's wages out there. So he's having his eyes opened to being able to make a living this way. And let's face it. Apparently, if you live in Uganda, you can make a living as a game designer. You really can't yeah. do that. Um, Does that mean we have to? No, I'm not relocating. I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> Too old to pack all my crap. Uh, so with that, I think it's time once again to announce a winner along with a pair of giveaways. One for the live audience, the other for all of our viewers and listeners. And that means it is time to enter the Sanctum Sigourm's very own Prize Closet of Mystery. It's so we'll start by announcing the of, of last <laughs> month's last giveaway, right? I mean, for the holidays, there were a lot of giveaways. And our final giveaway was a copy of A Canticle for Leibowitz by Walter M. Miller Jr., which I think is probably one of the best post-apocalyptic stories ever. And it's post-apocalyptic in ways that, that you don't really expect. Uh, and this month's winner was Eric Young. And Ooh. we'll be, uh, be emailing him shortly to get details to, to mail that out to him. I, I think I have his address. It's okay. <laughs> and then moving on, we come to tonight's live giveaway. And as a reminder, everyone watching the show is eligible for both a live giveaway and our monthly drawing. So starting out the year and our new season in style, tonight's first prize is going to be another DAW, DAW Collector's Starter Pack. It'll be uh, five different DAW yellow spines for our, our lucky winner. We got some. Yeah, so so that is going to go to the live viewer who can co first correctly give the answer to this question. Beyond the Books of Swords and the Empire of the East, Saberhagen was also well known for his Berserker series. In what year was Fortress Ship, the first Berserker short story, published? Was it A, 1961, B, 1963, C, 1964, or D, 1967. So those of you that are out there, get those guesses in. Or based on the time, yep, 1961, 63, 64, 67. Tony Hargrove with 1963, that is the correct answer. Uh, mm -hmm. 1961 was when his first short story sold. 64 was the publication of his first novel. 67 was the first Berserker collection. 1963 was indeed the year that Fortress Ship was published. Good job, Tony. Now, if you're watching the show and didn't win the trivia question, or you're listening to a podcast replay in the lead up to our next episode, you can enter to win our monthly drawing by dropping an email to the hub at Sanctum Media with your name. And entries should have the subject line of prize closet of mystery. So what is this month's prize? 
it also is a DAW collector starter kit. Uh, five DAW yellow spines to a lucky winner. So drop us an email and uh, we will announce the next winner on our next show. Okay. Well, lots of books flying around here. I, I'm kind of torn. Books are usually a one-way transaction in this house. Um, but it is now time, just before the hour, we're going to ask you, our viewers, what should we read next month? Um, real quick, before Elena puts the poll up, um, our choices will be Paul Anderson, The Broken Sword, Fred Saberhagen, The Second Book of Swords, I promise I didn't collate this list, uh, John Belair's The Face in the Frost, or John Stakely's Armor. Still one of my favorite books of all time, and I'd so, love to tell you Elena, there we go. What do we read next? Ooh, choices, choices. Um, hmm, man. And remember, you can use those channel points to weigh your votes. Uh, yeah. Hey, you know, ah! <laughs> I'm hoping that armor wins. Now we've got a tie. Well, that that's where we we can weigh our votes. How do we do that? Um, I don't remember. You told me the channel points could be used, but you didn't tell me how. But while, like such a dork. <laughs> while, while I watch this play out and, and cross my fingers, uh, our next show will be on Tuesday, February 28th. Same same uh, same time as normal, where we will be discussing. Um, um, yes, we will be discussing armor. Yay! We sent out like three copies of this as, as part of the Christmas giveaways or the holiday giveaways. So it'll be uh, it'll be nice to have a chance to talk about that. Okay, I guess I'm reading armor. And then we could then we can read the second book of swords. It's all good. Uh, how does John Stakely tie into Appendix N? Or is that something we have to wait for next episode to find out? Wait and find out. Okay. Okay. Clever. I see what you did there. Um, so February 28th, you say? February okay. 28th, the fourth Tuesday. Okay. We might have to shuffle March just by a day or something, but yeah. Well, we should be good on the schedule. I'm liking it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to post our email address in the chat again it's the hub at sanctum.media and yeah read read john stakely's armor read a you know tune in chat with us about it and the more people that are in the chat during the show the more we get to riff off of so we appreciate all of you <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And join us again on the Goodman Games official Twitch channel. Be inspired. Good night. Sanctum Sequorum Reading Room has been a
production of Sanctum Media. <laughs>